This is the Anderson Business Advisors Podcast, the show for real estate investors, stock traders, and business owners. We help you keep more of what you earn and protect what you've built. Let's get started. All right. Welcome to Tax Tuesday. We'll let uh, everyone come in, uh, start joining with us. Uh, got a cool show today. You guys have seen me a couple of times. Generally, uh, when we're out in Hawaii, Toby grabs me and we'll do a, a joint one. Today, I'm taking it over for the day, and I've brought a couple of uh, excellent uh, uh, tax professionals. Oh, I'm getting uh, hellos from people. Sherry Brody, my gosh. Uh, how long have you been a client, Sherry? Robert Guzman, uh, Roberto, hey. Oh, my gosh, 12 years. Yes, I still remember uh, when we met. That was uh, that was fantastic. So uh, uh, that's been a kind of a really cool thing. Uh, we'll get into this as people are getting in, but uh, just to give you guys some background information, you know, I started with Anderson in 1999 and then went into litigation and came back after uh, doing plaintiff's work, defense work. And uh, being in litigation, I wanted to get on the front end, plus with taxes, all these threats against us as uh, investors and business owners. I really wanted to uh, get it on uh, on the front end. Another desire is to help people uh, and prevent them from making mistakes I was making in my own investing, in my own businesses. And to do that, you have to have a good understanding of the tax code. Uh, a lot of people look at the tax code as restrictions. I look at it as uh, uh, kind of gifts, uh, kind of a weird way to look at it, the tax code, but uh, gifts. And uh, John, hey, how are you doing? Yeah, it seems uh, when we do these events, it's like a big uh, family reunion. Uh, it looks like a lot of people have already joined. Uh, it's slowed down. And so I really wanted to get started as quick as possible. The reason why is we are going to mix it up a little bit. With me today, I've got Mr. Elliot Thomas. Hey, Elliot, why don't you go ahead and say hi to everybody? Hello, welcome. Elliot Thomas, uh, manager of the tax advisors. I'm coming from Las Vegas, and uh, we have two of our team here up in Utah. Also, Kurt works in my office. Kurt, why don't you go ahead and say hi to everybody? Hi, everyone. My name is Kurt Bergfjord. I'm a tax advisor here up in uh, up in Utah with uh, with Michael. Yeah, so I roped Kurt into doing this, uh, what was it, uh, last week towards the end. And the reason why is uh, inside the office, uh, all the attorneys here and everyone up here in the Salt Lake office, you know, they're, they're constantly funneling in and out of uh, Kurt's office. So I went in and I said, hey, we're doing Tax Tuesday next uh, next week. Do you want to join in? He said, can I? And I said, can you? Yes, please do. Because I really enjoy working with Kurt and I've appreciated his acumen. And uh, I think it will shine and uh, show, uh, you know, throughout this uh, next hour uh, that we'll be on this. So to start off, Again, what we're looking at doing, you know, bringing tax knowledge to the masses. We've got a list of questions that Elliot and Kurt and I went through. And uh, what we did was we picked the ones that were most relevant at the time. You know, there's different things that are relevant to, you know, throughout the year. And in putting the, this list together, we decided, hey, you know what, tax season's coming up. And one of the things that I've done and most of our clients done is that procrastinating. Someday island. Someday I'll get to it. Someday before April 15th, I'll get to it. Someday I'll get to it. Someday I'll get to it. And uh, I think we've all been in the situation that April 14th, we are basically scrambling around trying to gather stuff up. So what we want to do to start this off is, oh, Jackie says CYA. There we go. Uh, There's a little inside joke. To start this off, we want to go through the things you guys should be collecting right now so that you guys are in a position to uh, you know, it being April 14th and you're going through bank records, boxes, shoe boxes is what uh, a lot of people do. And so we've compiled a list that we want to go through. 
and uh, share it with you guys in uh, and talk about it. Basically, what we're doing here is putting it on Nowaday Island that you guys will go ahead and start putting things together. You know, I have gone through and I've told the story. Uh, uh, probably some of the people on here have heard this. You know, the worst thing that ever happened to me during uh, the, for the tax deadline was I had an organizational system that was pretty asinine being that I was in Arizona. And uh, what my system was for keeping receipts was I would walk in the door and I'd pull out the receipts and I had, uh, it was a bi-level basket. I'd put the business receipts on the top, anything personal when it would come up that I thought I could write off on the bottom basket, on the bottom uh, basket of this, uh, this by uh, a level basket. Well, it's probably April 13th, April 14th. I go and I say, I've got to start doing my taxes. I got to put all this stuff together. And what had happened, and I can remember it just sort of like yesterday, what had happened was this basket was next to a window. And if you guys know, receipts are on thermal paper. Well, throughout the year and being that it was Arizona, those receipts were no longer legible. And what it made me do was go through bank records, credit card statements uh, for the entire year and try to recreate a picture. Now, there are some rules regarding keeping receipts and uh I never got out of this that year, but I know one thing for certain is that I overpaid in taxes and that's a problem. So what we need to do is keep accurate books and records. That's why we offer virtual bookkeeping. But we want you guys to start gathering information now because if you guys wait and procrastinate, you will overpay in taxes because you won't be able to create a clear picture and you'll forget things. And then what usually happens with clients is they will say, hey, I just found this receipt. Can I go ahead and do an amended return? And we'll say, well, it costs this much and it's probably not worth it. So we put together a list and we want to go through uh, what you guys should be gathering and collecting to prepare your taxes. The first one's probably the easiest. And I'm going to take this one. It's your W-2 forms. And they should have already been sent out. You guys should have received it, received them by now. These are what you're going to, if you're working a W-2 job, you'll get from your employer. And then any 1099 forms. And Kurt and Elliot, if you guys want to uh, uh, kind of discuss the 1099s and uh, you know who you should be looking out for for the 1099s, go ahead and uh, put it in. Yeah, uh, Kurt, I don't know about you, but I'm thinking probably the most common that we run into is for the independent contractors. Any thoughts about those? Uh, yeah, so... Uh... If you were an independent contractor in 2022, uh, most likely by January 31st, those customers should have sent you a 1099 uh, telling you exactly how much income you had so that you can report it accurately on your tax return. It is a requirement that they usually send that to you. Um, So those should be trickling in. um, They should be in by now, actually. You should have already had them. They should have been in by uh, January 31st already. Excellent. And that really, for those of you who, who maybe don't understand, you have your employee W-2 that uh, Michael was talking about. And then if you're an independent contractor, that's where you're going to get that 1099 that Kurt's talking about. Uh, there actually are probably over somewhere close to 14 different types of 1099s, but that's one of the most common. And they now have it as a 1099 NEC, I believe it is. But we have the other 1099s, uh, maybe like interest and things like that, that could come in if you received interest income. Also, a popular form for a lot of people is their mortgage interest. I believe that's the 1099, excuse me, 1098. Is that right, Kurt? Uh, yep, the 1099. 1099. IRS is really original. Yeah, you got 1099s and then 1098s. <laughs> uh, and uh, 
I think all of us on here have had a 1098, uh, uh, you know, student loan interest uh, would be one of them that we have had to deal with and uh, uh, mortgage loan interest for sure. Absolutely. And often, the, you know, the whether or not we could deduct that will depend on whether or not you're itemizing on your return. But getting back to the facts of what we're looking for here. One thing that uh, we noted on our noticed on our put on noted on our list are the receipts, various mm-hmm. businesses and things like that. Kurt, how are you going to take deductions if you don't have receipts? Well, yeah, it's going to be a lot harder to prepare your tax returns if, if we don't have receipts. Obviously, you know you want to be categorizing and both your income and all your deductions. Um, and if you don't have records of that, it's going to be very hard to substantiate those deductions in the unlikely event. That an audit were ever to occur. So this is going to be kind of fun. So everybody who's ever heard me speak, every conference I've ever taught, uh, I I talk about an acronym for deciding whether or not uh, an expense is deductible. In uh, chat, let me see who who knows what uh, acronym I'm I'm thinking about. Anybody out there? Think I am. Four-letter acronym. Starts with a C. Corn, there we go. Exactly. Oh, listen to this. You guys are all my people right here. I love, uh, yeah, you're, uh, the people who have put that in there are, uh, are rising up there. Uh, so when you go out and you wonder yourself, uh, hey, is this an expense that I need to keep the receipt for so I can deduct it? Follow corn, customary, ordinary, reasonable, and necessary. That is, uh, I always, uh, to this day, use it. In fact, uh, I was at an event uh, just this last month. And uh, a person came up to me and said, Michael, that's corny. I'm like, hey, it is, but it works for me, right? So, uh, yeah, you know, like Elliot said, and Kurt said, keep those receipts. And I would prefer you guys, you know, uh, do bookkeeping. And, and Troy is on here. Uh, you know, if you guys need, uh, you know, do most of you guys have virtual bookkeeping. If not, look into it. Because, uh, you know, if you're not keeping accurate books and records, you will overpay in taxes because you won't remember everything and receipts get lost, things like that. So uh, some of the things you need receipts for, charitable donations, medical expenses, business expenses uh, that follow corn would be a, a new one. The other thing you guys need to take a look at is your investment transactions. They're very, very important. Your broker should send you out statements on your trades. And uh, it'll be a quite lengthy report. Most of the online brokerages will do that for you. And then something that's very important, and Kurt, we were talking about this last week, you know, looking at your state and local tax forms and making sure they're filed on time, understanding. Uh, Kurt, actually, why don't you tell them about New York and uh, some of the, and one of the problems we had out there, or one of our clients had a problem with the past tax professional. Yeah, that was a thing where a client had uh, came to us in, in prior years. Um, we started filing their tax returns about mid last year. But uh, before they came to us last year, they had had their prior accountant file a an extension for their tax returns for them. And this individual had uh, had done some business in New York, had had to file a New York state tax return, but the prior tax professional did not file a state level, uh, federal, a state extension. So mm. the federal extension was filed, uh, but the New York state extension was never filed. And uh, we are spending time in February today trying to clean up the penalties and interest because uh, when New York state didn't see that a proper New York state extension was filed, they assessed the client uh, a big penalty on that. So it's just something to keep your eyes out for. Certain states would require 
a specific state extension where some states will just allow and follow the federal extension. Yes. Yeah. Uh, very important. Uh, and, and again, if you're doing business in uh, other states, that's something you don't want to overlook. If you have rental properties in other states, you'll have to do uh, a return in those states also. And then here's a great question. Uh, actually, two people have it. Okay. I don't have the receipts, which that happens. I'm going to ask Kurt and Elliot uh, what they think from a tax professional standpoint. Can credit card statements be okay? We typically typically accept them uh, if they have enough information uh, showing who the other party was, the amount, if it's broken out, if there's a you know, if it just says a a large dollar amount without a whole lot of specificity to what exactly you know is making up that amount. Costco, uh, right? There you go. <laughs> yes, I, we always we always deal with that one. Uh, it's it's kind of a running joke. Is yeah, this client just turned over a receipt to Costco for twelve hundred bucks and. Uh, uh, they're claiming it was uh, paper towels uh, for the office. <laughs> yeah, we're breaking out, uh, looking on receipts to see if there's a breakout of all that was there or not on the the statement, which usually there's not. <laughs> but that's, you know, I don't know that an IRS agent, ultimately they say you have to have receipts. That's the IRS rule. But does that mean that they won't accept some of the credit card statements if it has enough info? I think they probably will. Uh, you wouldn't want to rely on that if you didn't have to, but it's better than nothing, that's for sure. I think that's a good point, Elliot. You know, write down even on that statement who, why, what, where, uh, especially if it's business related, who was there, why it was important to the business. And, uh, you know, just if you, if you just kind of outline the scenario, it's always my opinion in an audit the more information you have written down, the more plausible you are. And, you know, an IRS agent doesn't want to spend time or waste their time over, you know, looking at things. And they say the, if, if they see that you have this support, they're going to move on to the next uh, victim, I guess uh, you can say. Yeah. All right. Stuff that, you know, if, if you are under an audit at any time, you want to make it as easy as possible for that auditor. So as much detail as you can provide in the receipts, right. the QuickBooks records, things like that, you know, they're going to see it, see that all your deductions are right in line, your income's right in line. And as Michael said, they're just going to want to move right on to the next one because they have a list of cases they want to get through. And uh, if you can make it easy for them by having good books and records, it'll be good for everyone. Exactly. And just to loop back real quick to something we talked with what Kurt just brought up, just talking about the business records. If you have like your own sole proprietorship or something like that, we often talk about clients maybe making sure you have a good set of books, you know, a profit loss statement. If anybody out there is having problems about how to categorize these expenses, you know, you certainly can give them to your preparer. It's going to cost you a lot more money because they have to categorize all the expenses, more time, more cost. If you ever go to just Google IRS Schedule C is in Charlie, there you'll get a nice breakout of various expenses on that schedule. I often tell clients just use that as a roadmap because that's what your return is going to look like. Uh, that will help you, you know, organize, categorize, et cetera. For sure. All right, Elliot, why don't we go ahead and jump into the uh, the questions that we've selected. Again, we, we, we picked ones that uh, were really pertinent to uh, what we're going through right now at the beginning of the year and questions that have just been coming up with uh, with clients, what we've been working on. And, and so here's one. Uh, Elliot, why don't you go ahead and read it and then uh, we'll, we'll discuss it. All right. Even if I show income on my tax return from rental and business activity as a sole proprietorship and self-employed, but no taxable income because I use my large net operating loss to cover all the taxes, is my income still considered income or will it be a hindrance as far as getting an investment loan or home equity line? A lot of people are in the same situation. In fact, 
what's funny is the uh, it's a, it's a balance. And Elliot and Kurt, you guys probably run into this all the time. Um, it's almost a badge of honor to have your clients not pay any taxes, right? Or or just balance all those expenses out. Uh, and many clients would look at it and say. Oh my gosh! I don't have to pay any taxes this year. I'm I'm showing at a loss now. You know this is even better. A lot of accountants have that badge of honor. Um, the problem is that uh, we're dealing with third-party financial institutions, and we've run into this. We arranged our affairs from a tax-wise standpoint. It showed uh, little or no income. Yeah, we saved in taxes, but then getting a loan can be somewhat tough. You know, so here's where it really comes down to. There's there, there, there's uh, credit unions out there, uh, and there's some uh, financial institutions that are pretty uh, astute when it comes to this. There are some that are not. Some are going to look at this, and uh, it will ding you, and you won't be able to get a loan. Others will take it into consideration and analyze the tax return. So the answer is it depends. So uh, it's going to depend on the uh, lending institution that you go through. Again, reasons, I guess, to show a profit you know, again, is to get loans. That'd be one reason. Or maybe even consider an alternate business structure uh, so it doesn't hit your personal return. Uh, so you get things like a home equity line of credit in here. The other thing why you want to show a profit is that you're able to uh, make contributions to a retirement account. I don't know if you guys have anything else on that, but uh, uh, you know, those would be the, uh, uh, it's always a balance for business owners, you know, especially when you're running into, you know, a sole proprietorship, S corporation partnership, things that flow down to your personal return and offset your personal income. And so it's going to depend, you know, the answer to this question really is going to depend on uh, the lending institution, basically. Uh, yeah, I was just going to say that Kurt and I, uh, actually, we talked quite a bit about this topic uh, as far as from a rental standpoint, just as Michael mentioned, depending on your lender, if your lender is more savvy, more used to the real estate business, they know, uh, for instance, like if you did bonus depreciation, that often causes a big loss. Some of the lenders, you know, will recognize that and they kind of take that out of the equation to understand that that's kind of a, a different kind of deduction. It's not really operational from the standpoint of cash flow. So to Michael's point, you, you get a, a lender that's a little more wise and experienced with that dealing real estate. That's kind of what you're looking for. Yeah. And just to piggyback off that, sometimes, you know, when when you're looking at preparing your tax return and you know you're going to need a loan, maybe not this year, you know, maybe you want to minimize your taxes this year, but in the next couple of years, you're going to be going out for to get a loan. So it might be wise to show a little bit more income in this current year, and then maybe next year, because if you know in two or three years, you're going to want to get a loan, you're going to have to be look, I think they look at the last two years of tax returns generally, I think. So just want to keep in mind that uh, forward looking thinking and, and and planning that out if you are going to need financing in the future. Kurt nailed it. Yeah, we should always be thinking out and planning because, yeah, I mean, obviously we don't want to pay uh, that much in taxes and, and we want to uh, actually just pay our fair share. But we have to look at it from a business standpoint. And uh, Kurt, absolutely right. Uh, you know, if you've got uh, a, a need for financing that you know is going to come up in the, in, uh, in the future, you need to start preparing for that. Uh, because as we've all found out that uh, once you go into and you start the process, it, it becomes too late because everything's historical and we can't go ahead and recreate things. All right. Uh, yeah, this next question I thought was a good mix between law and tax. And there's some balancing going on here. So uh uh, Elliot, go ahead and read it, and we'll uh, we'll dissect it from a couple different uh, views. Yeah, I currently have two LLCs in California that I file as a partnerships. Uh, should I 
create another LLC as a holding for both LLCs? And should that be disregarded or filed as a partnership as well? Of course, there is the additional cost of 800 for California as well. What's your suggestion? I'm interested to see what the uh, uh, tax professionals say first, and then uh, I'll give my two cents. Uh, yeah, I mean, I I think you could go either way. I think a holding company generally is a good idea. Again, probably from the legal point of view, it might be a better idea to have that holding company. All those assets are kind of coming into it. It might consolidate filings, especially if that holding company is disregarded. You know, those two LLCs, we might be able to change into disregarded entities instead of having them currently as partnerships. Those would then funnel down into the holding company, which then could be just disregarded itself on your personal tax return. So when you talk about the number of tax returns to be filed, we certainly could cut down that a bit. And uh, again, that's going to save you money on on the actual tax preparation. But uh, there also might be reasons to keep them as partnerships as well. Yeah, exactly. Uh, from the partnership standpoint, yeah, if you can consolidate, that typically you know might, might be a better solution. Obviously, for all the things Kurt just mentioned, fewer mm. returns, a little more clarity, ease of preparation, et cetera. There could be another reason, depending on who the other partner is in, on these uh, various LLCs, that might make a, a difference how we would structure. But certainly, we like the idea of maybe having an overarching kind of holding company up the top, if possible, and I'll let Michael handle that. Yeah, I uh, it's always fact uh, and uh, uh, term specific on this. Uh, but when I look at I have t- uh, two California LLCs that they both are filing as a partnership. Well, okay, so there's two tax returns. You know, why not make them both disregarded coming down to a partnership uh, if there is another person as opposed to just a spouse? Uh, so, you know, your accountant may not be recommending this because they like you to have more entities to have more tax returns to do. But yeah, you could consolidate it down. And so I think the $800 with California, it's just a cost of doing business. Uh, it is what it is. Don't get hung up on the 800 bucks. So if you went ahead and made both the two uh, LLCs in California, uh, both disregarded, and then brought them down to the holding company. And if you're a married couple, you can make that disregarded, or you can keep it as a partnership. And then you're you're uh, basically having one tax preparation fee, you know, because the other ones are disregarded. Then only one more filing, one, one uh, return that could get audited. And so I think that uh, that'd be a, from a tax-wise standpoint, I stand by Kurt and Elliot. One thing that I would recommend is that if these are rental property LLCs, what I would do is I would absolutely form that holding LLC. And the reason why is now we're bringing the charging order protections with Wyoming. If we go ahead and create a Wyoming holding LLC, now we're bringing the charging order protections into the play of any sort of litigation that goes on with your uh, uh, you guys personally. And so if I read this and have any other facts, which I don't, I would say, yeah, go ahead and have both of those LLCs disregarded down to a holding LLC. And then uh, if there's another partner file as a partnership or uh, uh, disregarded if it's a married couple and you don't want to uh, uh, consolidate. So uh, yeah, that's the way I would look at it from my, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of variables that we addressed, but the the bottom line without any further facts uh, or circumstances uh, being played into it, I think that having both those uh uh, LLCs disregarded down to a holding company makes sense from a tax-wise standpoint and also from a legal protection standpoint. And that's the way that I would do it for sure. Perfect. Any more thoughts there, Kurt? Also, just stepping back to the uh, 
the funding, you know, if you're going to be going up for a loan, uh, I've heard this is consideration where, you know, if, if we just leave all those LLCs disregarded, all that rental income, you know, rental expenses can be reported right on our personal tax return. That's going to give a lender an opportunity to really pick and nitpick at the expenses, at the revenue of the various properties, where if instead that holding company was filed as a partnership, that's going to go to page two of Schedule E. You know, that's just going to be one number. It's very hard to kind of tear apart one number being reported on a tax return as opposed to, you know, however many numbers would be reported if it was all disregarded. I think that's awesome insight. Uh, absolutely. And I think it, uh, wow, it's interesting how things correlate to uh, uh, other parts of our businesses. And that's what we have to look at. Like I said, uh, uh, working with Kurt, he's always bringing out these points that, uh, oh, wow. All right. I can see how that's beneficial. Good job. Yeah, he's got the eagle eye for it, no doubt. Yeah. All right. Next, how can a full-time LP investor in private equity and real estate syndications, as well as stock investor utilizing options for income, Structures such as to offset income of these activities with expenses, syndication conferences, the vet sponsors, uh, subscription services, travel for investment briefings, computer equipment expenses, etc. Assets are held in a Wyoming LLC and uh, property trust for the stocks. Would a management C-Corp make sense having one quote-unquote client? I am aware of people in my circumstances that write off expenses on their Schedule C, but I recall Anderson doesn't recommend that. Wow. You know, I'm going to throw out the the, the low hanging fruit here, and then uh, uh, we can kind of dissect it. You know, there is uh, you're doing private equity, um, so you're an investor in there. You're doing syndication, stock uh, investors, so you are doing management activities. You're constantly doing uh, ROI analysis. Uh, you're looking at the uh, you know best use of money. You're looking at the different uh, your uh, different uh, conferences. The third party is that C corporation. And it uh, does it is doing services for the LLC. So I think putting that uh, management company uh, from the facts we have uh, would make sense. Uh, yeah, just to go off that, you know, as an LP, you're generally passive in nature. You know, mm-hmm. you might be limited on the uh, going back to Michael's customer, customary, ordinary, reasonable, and necessary. Some of those deductions that uh, you could otherwise have if you had a management company might not be available to you as an LP. Similarly, if you're just like an investor, you're trading, things like that, some of your deductions might be limited. So if we could utilize that management corp, maybe we can capture some of those benefits that you otherwise wouldn't be entitled to. We can pay a little bit of the profits from those LP interests from that stock trading activity into that management C-corp and really put it to use for you. And any ideas, Kurt, we get that money into the C-corp. We've probably taken some money off our personal return. Now it's in the C-Corp. What might be some of those advantages in the C-Corp that you can think of to, to help the client out? Well, I mean, I always like to start at the the, the easy ones. You know, 280A, uh, rent your pr- primary residence up to 14 days tax-free. You can rent your primary residence to your corporation to have corporate meetings. You know, that income is tax-free to you, and it's a deduction to the corporation. So we just start chipping away at that income that we've shifted over to the C-Corp and 280A is a great place to start. Next place I'd look is the accountable plan. All those business expenses that you have, cell phone, internet, home office, things like that, subscription services, you know, all these are usually, if you're an investor, 
you know, you're always looking at, at, at different kinds of things and, and, and have subscriptions and things like that. That C Corp is a great way to have that C Corp reimburse you for expenses that you probably were incurring anyway, but not really getting a benefit for. What you just said, Kurt, just made me kind of smile because I remember putting my uh, management corporation in there and moved a lot of the expenses I was paying for personally. And uh, I think everybody on this knows there's a difference between the personal tax code and the business tax code or the corporate tax code. A personal tax code is earn, get taxed, and then spend what's left over. Corporate tax code is earn, spend, and then get get taxed. You know, when I started to put things under the corporation, they were things that I was already paying for personally. And then I moved them over to the corporate uh, uh, expense side of things. And uh, I was astonished about my personal accounts, how much money they had in them versus uh, uh, what they were before, before I moved them over. So uh, yeah, it made me smile when you said, hey, you're already paying for this stuff anyway. It just uh, you got to link it into as being a business expense and everyone should follow corn on that. And another great example of, of, of something that you're usually not getting a, a, a great benefit for uh, that we can utilize in that C-Corp is uh, those medical expenses ah. with, a, with a health reimbursement arrangement. Most of the time, you know, on your personal return, medical expenses only in excess of seven and a half percent are going to be deductible. And that's only if you itemize your deductions. However, if you have a management C-Corp, any medical expenses, uh, out-of-pocket insurance premiums that you pay for for you, your spouse, and your dependents can actually be reimbursed to you, and they become deductions of that seaport. So it can become a pretty powerful tool. So, Curry, you tell me then we we do these things on our seacorp. What happens if I don't follow Anderson's advice and I go ahead and put on my Schedule C? What happens to my two eighty eight, my medical reimbursement, my accountable plan? The reason we don't recommend it is because the C corps have the, or I'm sorry, the Schedule Cs have the highest audit rates. Yep. Um, things like 280A, I don't even think they would be available to a Schedule nope. C because they're not a separate taxpayer. A C corp is a separate taxpayer. A Schedule C, a sole proprietor, is the same taxpayer. So a lot of those things that would be available to you aren't as easily captured if you just put them on Schedule C. And plus, they put you at a higher audit risk. I like that part of it. Uh, you know, thinking outside the box, higher audit risk. You know, I always think back, it's, you know, business expenses belong on a business return. And I think that, you know, the IRS got, uh, you know, back in the 80s, started to realize that, hey, things that go on a personal return because it minimalizes the uh, personal taxes, that uh, people take liberties with those. And uh, said, hey, you know what? If we want a rich hunting ground, why don't we look at Schedule C and uh, we'll just start popping people? You know, I even remember uh, uh, hearing about the crazy 80s in more ways than one, I guess we could say. But uh, uh, also just from a tax-wise standpoint, people forming S corporations and writing everything off and now having no income. And uh, I, I guess the I, I guess the people in the 80s ruined it for all of us. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> uh, all right. Great points, Kurt. Uh, we good on that one, guys? I, I think so. You know, I, I think it always comes back to uh, uh, just being tax wise. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think that uh, moving things over on a corporate return, keeping them off your Schedule C and just the difference in the allotment of uh, expenses that we can move through a corporation as opposed to uh, us doing business underneath our own name as a sole proprietorship. And speaking of tax wise, a shameless plug, a week from uh, this coming Thursday, we're going to have our third episode of the new tax wise and Kurt will be there with us. 
And uh, we're anxious to have you guys all there. Everyone can join. Anyway, continuing on, how is reps applied to a tax return? I assume we're talking about real estate professional status. What do you guys think? You know, this seems to be in the uh, in the tax community, uh, something that people will keep talking. I think that it's probably also been mentioned on uh, Tax Tuesdays, uh, uh, probably every other uh, event. It's a very popular thing out there. You just have to make sure you actually hit those qualifications. Uh, you know, there's a proper test out there and uh, the IRS will audit you. But uh, uh, let's go ahead and look at the return and where it's applied. Uh, do you think we need to, you know what, actually, let's go ahead and give the test. Elliot or or uh, Kurt, why don't uh, uh, we, we break down the test just in, we won't get into all the nuances of it, but let's go ahead and give the basic test. Yeah. So I think the problem with a lot of rentals, especially with, you know, generally higher income earners is uh, rentals are per se passive. So that means any rental loss is not going to really help you offset uh, your wages, your regular business income, interest dividends, capital gains, things like that. So the IRS does actually have this section in the code that says if you meet certain tests based on time requirements and you are a real estate professional for all intents and purposes, that you can actually turn that otherwise passive income into non-passive income. And the great thing about non-passive income and losses is that non-passive losses can actually offset active income like W-2. So it can actually be very beneficial tax mitigation technique. But there are some requirements for it, for sure. First off, you're going to need to spend at least 750 hours in real trades or businesses. And you're going to want to document that time very diligently. Documentation's huge. And yes, they do ask for it. Yeah. Uh, you know, the log, you know, is going to be very important. It's going to be, you know, just like we were talking about having good records of your business expenses, documenting your time is going to be really your saving grace there, being diligent about that. So 750 hours in real trades or businesses, you're actually going to have to also spend over 50% of your time in the real trades or businesses. So, you know, if you're a surgeon working 90 hours a week, just know that you have to spend 91 hours a week also uh, in uh, the real trades or businesses. So this isn't always for everyone, but uh, you know certainly there are a lot of tax benefits to that. So those were the first two kind of time tests. But then also, you know, what often gets underlooked is you also have to materially participate on all your rental properties. So, you you know, there's a couple different ways to meet material participation, but that is also going to be a requirement to turn that passive income, that passive rental income or loss into non-passive rental income or loss. We got a question here, uh, you know, hitting that, uh, can a wife who is a rep uh, use her losses to offset W2 income from the husband? Why don't we just say spouses on this too? Yeah, absolutely, can. Yes. Mm -hmm. yeah, many cases and many of uh, uh, spouses do that. Uh, and I'm not sure, <laughs> I'm not sure if the uh, uh, rep's uh, spouse uh, uh, appreciates it all that much because <laughs> then they got to deal with tenants and toilets. Yeah. But you're getting a tax deduction. I, 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 maybe I'm trying to prepare my wife for this uh, in the future, huh? <laughs> but you were getting a tax deduction. Uh, uh, yeah. Just remember that when you uh, unclog the toilet, honey. No. <laughs> Good luck with that one, okay, Michael? <laughs> I know, right? Uh, 
Hey, Kurt, that was uh, that was a really good way to explain rep status. I've heard it explained so many different ways, but I love how you put the foundation in it and then built on it to the technicality of the test. So where do we account for this? I guess the heart of the question is where is it applied on a tax return? What forms? What? Uh, uh, where do we put it? And uh, you know, how do we go ahead and uh, you know, we, we've qualified it? How do we go ahead and get it on the tax return to benefit from it? Yeah, either way. I mean, it's it's going to be just like a, it's regular rental activity. So it's going to be on Schedule E or uh, page one or Schedule E page two. If you have a K one, if they're doing it through a partnership, so we don't really change the placement on the return. It's just that if we have a loss, instead of it being passive, like Kurt was talking about at the beginning of the question, this will now be non-passive or active, and that loss mm-hmm. will will simply be a deduction against other ordinary income on your return, your W two income or what have you. So we don't we don't we don't change the placement. Still schedule E, page one or two, but just a, a, a very much different impact. All right, okay. next question. Okay, we have seven rental properties set up with the ABA structure. My husband works full time for the government. I manage our home and rental properties. Two properties are mortgaged; uh, uh, the rest are paid for. Now, both in our fifties, we're financially comfortable with a large cur- cushion. We got retirement funds, mutual funds, properties, kids, education funds, etc. But we are getting killed in taxes every year. I feel like we are working to pay taxes. We don't live extravagantly, still drive same cars for 10 to 15 plus years. Taxes feel like a punishment for saving when we were younger. A lot of people, I think, can relate. A lot of people feel that way. Absolutely. Right. A lot of pain there. <laughs> what are some ideas to help us I- save the taxes? Deductions. We have a C-Corp. We are having ABA uh, Anderson do our taxes again this year. Is there anything else that we can do in 2023 to help? We are open to the idea of another property, possibly a vacation rental. Would this help or hurt our situation? Can I deduct medical expenses, co-pays, et cetera? I have a real estate license and work very, very part-time for a property management company. I'm not interested in working full-time as a real estate agent, but would be open to expanding this. What are some of the ways I could reach this required 750 hours that Kurt was talking about in the last question? But not as sellers or buyers, agents. Are there any deductions for part-time real estate employment? A lot of stuff in there. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, even even in here uh, in the chat too. Um, you know, it talks about you know, there's a lot of uh, surgeons, doctors uh, uh, who who may, you know have their uh, spouse qualify for rep status. You know, that's something to look at. Uh, you know, you've got uh, seven rental properties. Start keeping a log of all the time you're spending on managing them. Uh, you know, seven properties. Uh, I think you're getting to the point where you might be hitting that 750 hours, and you might be surprised at, uh, you know, if you did take a log or keep a log, that you might be there. You know, and then you know maybe look at uh, using the corporation, you know, seeing how much you're paying that corporation for the management duties would be my two uh, uh, suggestions there. I don't know what you guys think. Well, Kurt, we often talk about when it comes to rentals about having that depreciation deduction. There might be some more favorable types of depreciation than just that run-of-the-mill straight line. Any any thoughts there? Yeah, you know, it, it looks like we got several seven rental properties, but we'd be kind of curious how much depreciation has been taken on those, how long we've had those. You know, if you've had those for, you know, 25 years or so, maybe a lot of that depreciation has been taken. But hey, maybe in the last couple of years, you know, with the markets kind of changing, you snapped up a couple more of those rental properties and you have a lot of depreciable base left in there. We might be looking to, uh, you know, maybe get a cost segregation study done. That's what I was thinking too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Seeing how much uh, depreciation we might be able to kind of front load into 
these current years, especially, you know, you said you're in your mid fifties, we still have a W2. It would be good if certainly, you know, maybe you could get rep status this year. We're still in February. That means you got plenty of time to start planning that out, start documenting your hours, you know, as we kind of march through the year. And, uh, you know, that paired with uh, kind of front loading some of the depreciation, if we could get rep status, kind of create a, a large active loss for a real estate professional, that might be really beneficial in 2023. And even if maybe they couldn't get there, I saw a mention of maybe getting a vacation rental. Maybe we uh, do a, a short-term rental. Do you think that could maybe be in the mix if we can't get that rep status? Yeah, yeah, you know, definitely. That is something that, uh, you know, if you're not quite ready for the real estate professional high bar, maybe looking at some kind of short-term rental Air- Airbnb situation that we could add to the portfolio. There's uh, even a nickname, short-term uh, rental loophole. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> It's actually coined all throughout the internet. Uh, everyone's uh, touting it, touting it. Uh, I don't know if my wife would ever go for that, uh, <laughs> going over and changing sheets and uh, cleaning it up and uh, the work on that. Absolutely, though. I think that that's, you know, these are all the things we need to be taking a look at. Um, you know, I... Uh, I love how uh, uh, you know we just put a uh, realistic spin on this, and uh, you know, really being honest, uh, you, you got to take a look at uh, a, a little deeper dive. You know, how long you've had the property, how long are the properties, you know, how much depreciation is left. Is it going to be cost effective to do a uh, a cost seg? You know, the one good thing is most of the cost seg people out there they will do an analysis and make sure that it is worth what you pay for it and that you uh, get about three times back. And to that short-term rental loophole, as Michael pointed out that Kurt was talking about, you could still go back to what Kurt was talking about with the depreciation and cost segregation on that one unit, short-term rental, maybe some bonus depreciation might have a nice loss there if we can't get that rep status. So you got options here potentially. At the very end, we have that. Uh, are there any deductions for part-time real estate employment? That you know, you're you're probably going to want if you're full-time working on your short-term rental, or, or I should say, if you're the one managing your short-term rental, you won't even have to worry about all those other tests that uh, rep status gives you for the yeah. long. That might give you a shortcut there. Yeah, and just to go off that, I mean, I think you know, in terms of the hour requirement, you know, you could be as short as like I think a hundred hours you know, involvement in a, in a short-term rental property, um, you know, you get it, you know, second half of the year, you get it up and running, you know, you have a little bit of short-term rental income. And then we look at doing that cost segregation, uh, front-loading a lot of that cost into this year, producing a nice loss in 2023. And uh, certainly if we still have a W-2 in play, that could really lower your taxes in 2023. Excellent. Anything else, uh, guys? I think I think we've covered it. Uh, you know, not interested in working as a full time uh, real estate agent. Uh, um, maybe expanding a little bit, using those hours. Uh, not as a buyer's or seller's agent. I can understand that, but I think yeah, I think we've covered it pretty well. All right. Uh, next, what are the tax benefits of putting my primary residence in a trust? I had to get this one. I had to. I I, I had to grab this one because you know, um, it's a, you know, a trust is a trust. Uh, there's two kinds of trusts out there. There's a revocable and there's irrevocable. I'm assuming that this is going to be a revocable trust, like a land trust or a living trust. 
but I grabbed this question just because it's a question that we get from a tax-wise standpoint, but we also get it from the legal standpoint. Hey, is there asset protection with a living trust or a land trust? And the answer is no, no legal protections from a, a revocable trust, such as a land trust or a living trust, which most people put in there. And uh, really, there's no, from my standpoint, and uh, we might want to talk about a QPERT or something, but uh, I just wanted to, to share with everybody on here, you know, uh, no, nothing from a, uh, a tax benefit from doing a, a living trust. There's a, maybe a couple exceptions. Uh, what do you guys think? Yeah, I would say that, you know, nothing on the, the asset protection side. Generally speaking, they are revocable trust as Michael pointed out, so you're looking at basically a disregarded entity. It's just going to flow right through. So we don't really have a, a, a tax consideration in that. But if it's in the right kind of revocable trust, then we still get to take advantage of our Section 121 of tax exemption from, from gains on the sale of your primary residency, 250 single, 500,000 married family joint. So we don't, uh, as long as it's the right kind of revocable uh, grantor trust, then we can still take advantage of that. Yeah, so revocable, you know, a revocable trust, it's just going to flow down. It's it's like the IRS doesn't even see it. You know, when we're looking at a property, and right now the state uh, exclusion for federal is about $22 million, just over. You know, so if you have a, a $22 million residence, we probably want to do some other planning with you and, you know, maybe putting in an irrevocable trust. Uh, but, uh, you know, there's the IRS doesn't give us without taking it away. So uh, we need to be careful of that for sure. Good quote. <laughs> <laughs> I just coined that on the fly, huh? <laughs> uh, anything you wanted to add, Kurt? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I think certainly if your asset levels are getting that high, but you know, you do get that question a lot. You know, should I put uh, my primary residence in a trust? And generally, you know, certainly for a lot of people, that is not really going to have any tax benefits. You know, certainly if your assets are getting up to that, you know, twenty three, twenty four, twenty five million dollar level when you're looking to pass, then we might be looking at doing something with uh, the primary residence and the trust. But uh, generally speaking, we're, we're, we're not going to try to do that without no. some significant planning. No, we do it for privacy reasons and for uh, estate planning. Those would be the two reasons, not from an asset protection standpoint or from a, uh, a tax-wise standpoint, but from a privacy, absolutely. And obviously for a estate planning. All right. Next question. I want to be as anonymous as possible. What is the best business structure and ways to submit taxes? I do not want the tax info to flow down to my personal taxes. I got a kick out of this question because uh, <laughs> the IRS wants to know uh, responsible taxpayers, and uh, I, you know, there's, there, there's. I'm gonna. I, I'll let you guys do a tax wise standpoint on this, but uh, you know, privacy is really important to our clients, and it's important to me and. Uh, you know, as a litigation attorney, you know, keep your name out of public record, but the IRS is going to want uh, to uh, know who you are. And so uh, uh, don't be alarmed at it. It is it is what it is. We're not, uh, you know, cheating on our tax returns. Uh, we're not committing fraud. And there is one entity out there that I can think of that uh, if we don't want the tax or the income or loss to flow to our return. Uh, uh, there'd be, I think, one entity out there that would do it. What do you guys think? Uh, yeah, you know, I, I would just say probably looking at some kind of corporation or partnership yep. that, you know, certainly all that tax information off that return, you know, maybe in terms of an S corp or a partnership, the tax uh, taxable income will actually still flow down to your personal tax return. But a lot of that information about the the properties, the nature of your business, your expenses, your income, 
things like that are going to be reported on a separate tax return. So, you know, when we talk about anonymity, anyone looking at your personal tax return is really not going to have too much of a purview into your business activities. They'll be able to see the, your, your income, but they won't really have a, a good idea of, of what's really going on behind the scenes. And from the end, to have that, the idea of uh, anonymity there, as much as we can keep off your personal tax return and have that personal tax return really clean, simple, and not a lot to dig through, I think uh, that would be best. Yeah. Uh, someone put in the chat, uh, a C-Corp. And I think, yeah, C-Corp is probably the, the, the best way in business structure. Uh, then S-Corp, then partnership. Worst would be sole proprietorship. That would be my opinion on that. Uh, I'm very congruent with what Kurt just said. Yeah, and, and something Kurt pointed out in one of the previous questions, if you look at your S and your C corporations, you have some of those reimbursements to take advantage of your actually helping yourself as well from a tax standpoint, as well as getting, you know, maybe the, of course, C corporation separate taxpayer. But if you get the medical reimbursement, Campbell plan reimbursement, 288 corporate meetings, and maybe in a C corporation, you've done a lot for yourself there. Yeah. If we maybe still needed to hit our personal return, we can do the S corporation that they were talking about. Still get the accountable plan and 280A. So kind of best of both worlds there. You guys make it sound like there's a lot of options with taxes and uh, tax strategies. I love it. Yeah. It is when you, yeah, you talk to the tax advisors like Kurt, you're gonna, you're gonna get uh, uh you're gonna get a whole lot to think about. Kurt's like, no, don't I, I've got enough work as it is. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's gonna be blowing me up. I love this next question, by the way. We've kind of touched on it, but uh you know, sometimes we get uh, hyped up on different strategies and think that one you know, one size fits all and that everything's going to apply. We really have to take a look at variables and is this strategy right for me? One of the things I always think is important is if for us to know that these strategies are out there, but just realize that they might not apply to you at that time, but always be aware of them so that you can go ahead and implement them when the timing is right. So this question right here, should I do a cost seg for a condo? And I thought that was really interesting because one would think from, you know, some of the advertisements that you see on social media, some of the, you know, different programs out there that, hey, you know what? I should always do a cost seg. We started to be include in from a couple of previous questions. What Kurt said is, hey, there's a balancing test that we need to do. Uh, what was the, uh, the point you made regarding uh, the timing and uh, depreciation, Kurt? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, when we talk about looking at this question, should I do a cost seg for a condo? Uh, it kind of depends on what we're using it for. You know, have we had this condo for a while? Have we been depreciating it for a while now? You know, are we real estate professionals? Are we renting this, sh this condo short term? Uh, various factors would go into that and kind of weigh, well, whether we should do the cost seg now, uh, should we do the cost seg? Uh, should we hold off on the cost seg? Also, you know, maybe we're planning a, a rehab next year or some kind of remodel, you know, maybe waiting and holding off for that, uh, you know, might be a good thing to, to keep in mind. And that's the good thing about cost seg authority, you know, you go, you know, over there, kind of, you know, talk to them, they're going to give you a good idea of what kind of benefit you'll be able to get out of it. And then we take that benefit and we kind of apply it to your personal situation and see, hey, does it make sense to do it this year? Or maybe you want to wait and apply it to next year it might be a, you know, a better situation for you. Yeah. Outstanding. 
I just I, I think the big takeaways on some of this is like you know just because the strategy is out there doesn't mean it, it's it's always going to apply. You know you have to do that cost uh, cost benefit analysis. You know, Which Toby so, says to calculate, calculate, calculate. That's what yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. All right, I think this is the last of our the last four, I believe. Uh, what does the best corporate structure have in place that can also allow for tax savings? See, there's. Uh, maybe maybe some of the attendees are, are are starting to realize a theme, you know, on expenses, how to go ahead and operate tax wise, you know, how to get things off your personal tax return, how to move them over into a business structure. Uh, so uh, I don't know. Um, what do you guys? Maybe I'll ask the audience. Uh, what, what kind of a, a, a what's the best corporate structure to have in place that allow for tax savings? What do you guys think? Go ahead and uh, put it in. Uh, it's like John's uh, throwing darts at everything there, except for the sole prop. Yeah. All of them except for also, hey, you know what? That that actually could act. I, I love John. John's a fantastic yeah. individual. I know him. Uh, uh, yeah, a, a corp, all except sole, uh, sole okay, S corp. No one's that. No, okay, okay. Amir, you're the, you're, 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 you're amazing because it says it depends and it absolutely depends. I was hoping so. I thought Sherry would have uh, thrown that out there because uh, uh, she loves it when I say that. But, uh, I think there's a hierarchy with corporations. And again, we've covered it. C-Corp, S-Corp, partnership, and then the worst would be sole proprietorship. And you think for Amir, we maybe give him the honorary uh, Anderson Law degree there for the, it depends? <laughs> Man, I don't know. I had to, I had to pay $100,000 and uh, <laughs> serve three years. Uh, <laughs> right? I was right there with you. <laughs> I know you were, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So All I think right. I think we got that one. Yep. Um, uh, what kind of tax incentives are there for real estate investors to not have to pay absurd amount in taxes? Kurt's been nailing this the whole day. So yeah, uh, yeah. So just to recap, you know, management corporations, you know, real estate professional status, also looking at maybe short-term rentals, cost segregation studies. You know, are all very good ideas. Also, uh, you know, if you're looking to sell a sell a property. Uh, look at those 1031 exchanges, you know, instead of selling, paying the capital gains, because you're just going to turn around and take that money and invest in another property anyway, uh, you know, maybe go through a 1031 exchange where brilliant, actually just deferring that gain, kind of kicking that can as, as long as you can and defer and defer and defer is a, a pretty tried and true strategy to well and, and and maybe not even have to pay tax what happens if you die with those uh with it uh, the new properties and your kids inherit it yeah you get the stepped up in basis that'd be a, a, a great way to do it okay uh, that's what i just did do not tell my children that okay <laughs> i do not want to leave this planet earlier than i have to and i could just see it like hey dad take one for the team <laughs> Mom, <laughs> you know what? We, we we could use those properties now at a stepped up basis. Uh, yeah. and, and, and in a way, it would kind of uh, bring a tear to my own. Like my children are tax wise. <laughs> would this would this be maybe maybe Mom would be on it because you made her uh, do real estate professional status? <laughs> no, my my kids would take her out too to get the stepped up basis. <laughs> All right, yeah, they, they would be tax wise. Uh, you know. Yeah, Kurt, that, you nailed it. You know, here's the other thing I'd recommend. Keep your receipts. Organize your receipts. Do proper bookkeeping. Without the proper bookkeeping and without uh, keeping accurate books and records, uh, you won't get these uh, uh, tax incentives. So, Speaking uh, of which, uh, yeah, talk to Troy on that. He's uh, helping answer questions right now, as well as all the rest of our staff, uh, Dutch, Ross, Jared, Sergey. 
Dana, they're all out there pounding questions away. Uh, we're at just short of 200. As a real estate <laughs> investor, opening my first LLC, which is the best for me to use? That's Corp or C Corp. What do you think, guys? What's the, what's what, what's the term we put here? It depends. It's <laughs> the one. <laughs> you know, it really does. I I'm going to give you guys my uh, my interpretation, then you guys can expound on it or give you you know uh, the great thing about the two individuals I have on on this is that uh, uh, both of them uh, you know have their own opinions. I like C corporations when we talk about a uh, management style. I would never use a C corporation to hold appreciating property though. Okay. So as a real estate investor opening my first LLC, which is best for me to use an S corp or a C corp. Well, if you're going to invest in long-term property, you're just going to use an LLC. And most of the time it's going to be a flow through down to your return. Do not, do not, do not. I've had to fix this situation too many times with clients who came to us, you know, who got set up before they got to us. Uh, they put appreciating property in a C corporation. That's a that's a big no no. Um, even in an S corporation, can have uh, pretty bad uh, ramifications. But uh, you know, you're going to be using a C corporation for short term active investing. Okay, so you're going to be doing wholesaling. You're going to be doing uh, flips and management, but never put uh, long term holds in a C corporation. Would be my two cents on this question. What do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, I would just say you know when we talk about you know, the S versus C, you know, a big difference between the S versus C is those medical expenses. If you and your family, you know, have a lot of uh, medical issues, you know, maybe, maybe we want to really take a close look at that and, uh, and see if that C corp might be a better option for you. But on the other end, you know, we also want to be looking at your, your personal tax rate. Are you in a very low tax bracket personally? Are you in a very high tax bracket? Personally, and uh, what kind of income are you going to be expecting from this uh, this corporation you're going to be setting up? Because if we if we have a, a very high tax bracket individual versus a very low tax bracket individual, it, it certainly might change the kind of uh, analysis and and what is going to be better for you not only this year but also you know down the line. So uh, there could be a lot of factors, and really it really depends. Yeah, and like like Kurt's saying, do a balancing test. Uh, maybe that C corporation, that management uh, entity, isn't right for you at the time. If you got one property, you know, uh, and you're not doing any short term activities, maybe uh, hold off on that corporation. Uh, but no, it's in, uh, uh, it's got value once you uh, start building out your business. Exactly. I I would just echo what Michael said about the first LLC. My legal side is going to go toward making that a disregard LLC. Put the rental property in for asset protection. Yep. And then maybe, you know, in time, get that second LLC that's going to be your management corporation. That's the way I would go about it, personally. I do favor on the C-Corp. I am guilty of that. I like it better than yes. But to be sure, Kurt's got a very valid point. There are times and facts and circumstances that you might go S over C. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And uh, Troy sir. says uh, that I've been uh, finally listening to him. So yes, Troy, I know you. I, uh, <laughs> uh, I always listen to you. Sometimes uh, uh, I forget, to, but uh, you remind me. <laughs> All right. Cool. Last question, I think. I started my uh, LLC last year to begin my search for buying real st- uh, uh, buying a business or real estate. Currently, I am a W-2 employee while I uh, get started. My question is, can I write off any expenses since I did not make any money in my LLC? We've incurred expenses. But I don't have any income, Kurt. What do I do? Yeah. So I the first thing I would say is, you know, did you actually make it into business? Did you buy a property? Did you kind of open doors if you if you if you were just doing some other kind of business? 
you know, was that actually open for business? Because that, you know, those kind of exploratory costs are one thing. And it's it's usually we'll be able to deduct them, but kind of more the timing on when we'll be able to deduct them is the more important thing. So we just kind of start, you know, finished uh, 2022. Maybe you just open your doors in, in February, you know, just this month here. Uh, we might be holding on to those expenses. And that's where that good bookkeeping and good record keeping come into place. If you're kind of uh, in the exploratory phase of, of the business. You know, you want to really hold on to those things and document them very well. Maybe weren't quite in business in 2022 just yet, so we can't really necessarily deduct them. But they're going to be very important in 2023 when we do start making money. That's that's huge. I mean, there's there's so many rules in place. I mean, you nailed it, Kurt. Uh, so many rules in place, and there's so many court cases or tax court cases uh, <laughs> where people try to get away with this. Uh, uh, you know, if you guys were paying attention to what he was saying, when did you start? doing business, uh, uh, you know, thinking about the business, I, we, we've seen tort, uh, uh, tax court cases regarding that as a person, well, I was thinking about the business, so that was an expense towards the business, and they weren't even in the line of business, or uh, they started a uh, an LLC and uh, never made a profit. Uh, you know, there's a, there's, there's a rule called the hobby loss rule that we have to contend with, uh, uh, you know, you know, these are the, exactly what Kurt said, uh, that, you know, you, you got to be careful just because you thought about the business or thought about buying a business or thought about buying real estate doesn't mean you're in the business. It's when you actually get into the business. Yeah, great points. Both. I would just add this, though. Just the mere fact that you didn't make money doesn't prevent you from taking deductions if, mm. as Kurt said, you started the business. So don't worry about the fact that you made or didn't make money. As far as whether or not you can, that's not the determinative factor. No, no. Amazon, uh, you know, lost money for how many years before they finally a lot. profit? <laughs> yeah, and and then don't be scared of that hobby loss rule I mentioned too. It's a it's a it's a rebuttable presumption uh, that you can come back and you know number of hours you spent on the business activity. You know, did you have experience in the business? There's about an eight factor test that you can go through to uh, rebut that. Uh, uh, a presumption that the IRS comes at you that uh, you're 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 doing this as a hobby or for the tax loss. Uh, so don't be scared of that at all. If you've uh, got your uh, ducks in a row, and uh, what Troy Butler done proper bookkeeping. And so, um, yeah. Well, you know what? I think we should uh, go ahead and wrap up and give uh, uh, everybody. Uh, I think we had a great session. I've, I've really appreciated uh, Kurt uh, Elliot. Uh, you know, everybody else on here, we have Dutch, Troy, Ross, Jared, Dana, uh, Tanya, and Sergey. I uh, want to shout out to them. Shout out to you guys for being uh, those who are working hard for a better future. On behalf of uh, the people on this uh, Tax Tuesday and on behalf of Anderson uh, and myself, I wish you guys the best of success in your lives and your investing in your businesses. So have a great uh, rest of the week, everybody. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Show notes for links to everything mentioned in this episode can be found on our website at andersonadvisors.com slash podcast. Be sure you subscribe to our podcast. And if you are already a subscriber, please provide us a review of what you thought of this episode. 